Hi, I'm Kim Rickards, professional superglue and co-creator of Manifest. Manifest is a global platform with a vision to empower professionals of color to make connections and build intentional community to manifest careers, dreams, and goals. In this podcast, we will nurture, inspire, connect, and elevate our listeners through relevant stories and conversations. Now, let's Manifest. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to another episode of Less Manifest. Today, I'm low-key sad because it's the end of the three-part Black Romance author series, but I am beyond grateful to end this series with today's guest, Love Belvin. Love is a native of the New York tri-state area, mommy to a shih tzu, and she prides herself on pinning heavily flawed characters who aren't deemed, quote-unquote, fairytale worthy or found in your typical romance novel. Love has been given the moniker Adult Contemporary Series Queen, and she is the author of the Love's Improbable Possibility series, Wayward Love series, Love Unaccounted series, Sadiq series, and her newly highly anticipated series, Muted Hopelessness. Love Belvin is also the co-author of the Connecticut King series with author bestie Christina C. Jones. Miss Love Belvin, welcome to Less Manifest. Thank you so much for having me. Girl, how have you been? I've been um under I don't want to say under pressure, but under pressure. I mean, who am I gonna <laughs> I've been under pressure trying to, you know, create this deadline for myself or word goals per month and not, you know, not succeeding with then and then, you know, feeling these two every day, like every day. So the pressure is definitely there. And and, and I love it. I love what I do, so I'm not gonna complain. Well, hopefully this time that we spend together will not be filled with pressure at all because we're going to keep this very light as we wrap up this three-part series on Black romance authors. But I'm truly excited to get all up in LB's universe. I have so many questions for you, but before we get to the tea, let's play this quick game of this or that. Have you played this or that before? I have. Okay, so you know the rules. So you don't have to think. We're having fun and you're just going to say whatever comes to mind. All right. All right. So the first one is hanging out with friends or staying at home. Staying at home. Cocktail or wine. Wine. (laughs) (laughs) Introvert or extrovert. Oh, gosh. I was born an extrovert, but I don't think I'm an introvert. I think I'm an introvert now, but I'll say extra. It's the Belvin way. Extrovert. Okay. Calling or texting. Text. Tumblr or Pinterest. Oh, a Tumblr, Tumblr, <laughs> Tumblr. What about Whitney or Mariah? Whitney. Living single or friends? Living single. What about movie or documentary? Documentary. Really? Yeah, Why documentary? I love stories and I, I love, you know, factual, you know, stories. And I love, obviously I love fiction, but mm-hmm. I love unwrapping people, unraveling people. And that's what happens in a documentary. Well, I like the way that that segued right into what we're going to do. We're going to be unwrapping a lot today. And we're going to start with the question that I really love asking my guests because I feel that it starts that unwrapping. Um, And the question is, what is the advice that you'd give to your 16-year-old self? But for you, I'm going to go a a little... just a little off the beaten path, which is what is the advice that you would give to your 16 year old self, but would you have given your 16 year old self career advice? 
so my advice to my 16 year old self would would be to keep going just keep going very bland but but just that keep going um and as far as career i uh, i i would not have given any career advice mm. <laughs> to my 16 year old self really and why not um because I feel like I was on a great natural course. Like, um, although I've invested money in uh, education for a career that I honestly did not care for and stopped caring for once I started my master's program and Mm -hmm. I did finish it. But, um, I feel like if I had started or, uh, pushed or, okay, if I had published when I first, you know, started writing and that was the year I graduated undergrad, my tone would have been a lot different. Mm. So I did not do, you know, go according to the path that I did my very traditional life. Um, My writing would have been less mature. And I like where I am now. And I know in that 2002, 2013, so that, yeah, 2013, uh, so that 11-year span would have been different. It would have changed the course of my, I mean, maybe, and I'm sure I would have evolved eventually, but Mm -hmm. what I started writing, when I started writing my very first uh, series, my tone was totally different and less mature. Mm, Okay. Okay. So you wouldn't want to give yourself- what, right. You know what my course what is going to happen. And and as sad as that is, because I am impatient, I want to know everything. <laughs> future, but at that time, it's so complicated. I would have just, I would just say, keep going, just keep mm-hmm. going. And as far as career advice, just, just keep going. Just keep going. Yeah. I think that that's actually really sound advice because, especially as you know, 16, 17, 18 year old, sometimes you don't want to go. You just want to. You want to know. <laughs> you be, I wanted to know. Like I, I share this story if I have time that I grew up with, um, with like a group of cousins. It was about five of us. And I, I was like somewhere in the middle in terms of age. And I was the one without the obvious talent, right? We had one that was, uh, that was really academically inclined. Like she was like really well. And she was like the leader of our group, the oldest. Then I had one just under her that could sing very well and can dabble in here a little bit. And then I had one that was my age, just a few months older than me who um she sang she uh she did hair she did makeup um she had all those things going and then there was like me and i had nothing (laughs) i legit had nothing to offer nothing that was very obvious and i am huge on mentoring i'm very hypocritical about it but um i'm huge on mentoring i am i am now i i hate that i didn't have anyone in my life back then to, to to point out um the writer in me or the storyteller in me, because now I know that those cues had, had, had been there. Right. But, um, so I, 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 I wish I, I had someone, but I didn't have anyone. So my thing was, I just honestly was very low risk and I was taught that you go to school, you get an education. And I did that. I did those safe things until it was time for this thing to blossom and it, and it, and it worked out. So I don't think I could have taken a shortcut here. So it's, yeah. I, yeah, I'm a little, you know, I'm, I'm not making sense, but I do. Feel no, it makes so total sense. I would just say, just keep going. Yeah, it totally makes sense because again, you, you wouldn't want to have shortchanged exactly where you are now or try to cut any path to get mm-hmm. to exactly where you are now. So that totally makes sense to me. And as we're talking about, where you are now, what brought you to this moment? How did you even get into writing? So I tell this story all the time that I, um, I was in my, uh, I was in, I was in undergrad 
and I had a sweet mate. So I had uh, what I wrote into this current series, uh, Muted Hopelessness. And in book two, our, our reckless hope, uh, our reckless, our muted recklessness, excuse me. It was like, um, it was like an apartment with like two bedrooms and you're supposed to have two people to a bedroom, but we lived together for two years. And ironically, we rarely had, you know, we, we never had consistent roommates, but she was in one bedroom and I was in another bedroom and she had these books and I had read a book. I read a couple books in the past, but not real. And I knew that I liked it, but I didn't continue. So when she gave me the book, I read it and I, I like just ate the book up and I was like, Hey, you got another book like, here, here, here. And gave me the same author. And I just, consume like just inhaled the book and I said hey, you got more she was like listen you know you can go and purchase these books they're available here and I'm like oh really and then honestly like you know I'm I was just like oh okay well it was Eric Jerome Dickey and I went and I purchased oh, his, like all like everything I can get my girl. hands on for him at the time and I exhausted myself with it and I was like I want to do this this is what I want to do and as soon as I'm done because I was very you know low risk low risk person still am um I said, I'm going to finish this because I'm almost done with this and I'm going to write my first romance novel. And guess what? I'm not going to take forever putting them out. I'm not going to take years. I'm going to show these people how fast you can write a romance novel. So oh, that was a challenge. <laughs> challenge. Yeah, that was like in 2000. And then I didn't graduate until 2002. Um, and I got my first job and I started, uh, so I graduated in uh, May and then I started writing what I thought was going to be my first one, you know, standalone book. Started writing it in December. Um, and then that took like darn near 10 years to just continue, wow. not even finish. I didn't even finish it to just, and that's what I mean. That period of my voice, it would have been something totally different. I would have been an urban writer. Mm. And, and then when I picked up, I, urban was not my thing, but because of the woman I am and the different elements in me, you will find that urban element in the most, book. most, most, most of my, my projects, but it is not an overall urban theme. So my voice was a lot different from when I started writing to when I was like, okay, I'm ready to publish this thing. Let me for real, for real, finish this, revise it and finish it. And that's what I did. Wow. And what Eric Jerome book? I'm thinking Eric Jerome and I'm like milking my coffee, which I mean, I, got... I read that one, but the first one was friends and lovers. Oh yeah. Friends yeah. and lovers. I laughed reading that. Like I was like touched. The first book I read was Terry McMillan's disappearing act. And I liked it. I enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, oh, but I was young and I, so I couldn't thoroughly appreciate the art the way that I did fast forward when I was like 20 years old reading right. Eric Jerome Dickey. So I was like, Oh, I'm going to do this. This is mm -hmm. <laughs> a shout out to Eric Jerome Dickey shout for the inspiration yeah. behind you actually using that gift that has always been in you. And, you know, you started saying how you started out this interview saying that you felt like you were the one that didn't have anything to, to offer. Mm -hmm. And, Sis, no, you have a lot to offer. You've yeah. been giving yeah. so much, right? Yeah. I just had to wait for my time, you know? You have to wait. And, and that right there is a soundbite. Listeners, wait for your time yeah. because you never want to be before time, no. right? Because then it's, it, it could get real messy and no, nobody has time for that one. No. But, you know, on social media, I noticed that you have taken a stance on indie authors. And I wanted to know if you agree that there are more pros than cons to being an indie Black romance author. I think there are more pros only in the fact that we can do what we want to do. Our mm -hmm. art and what, how we envision it can actually come into fruition. 
I can legit do what I want. And I did. And from that very first project that I had that I knew as it was like building in 2012, I was like, no one is going to publish you. I hope you know that. And that was fine because at that time it was known like in independent publishing was like this thing. So, Mm -hmm. but I was like, dog, you better be lucky because if that weren't the case, like you, this would just sit here or we'll go go out amongst your friends because you have too many things going on in here. So, um, so yeah, I was like, um, just, I, I do believe that there are more, more pros than cons to independent, independent publishing. And although it doesn't happen often in black romance, but I've seen in mainstream romance, independent authors make, you know, the big traditional lists. So it, you know, it is possible for that to happen. So I feel like, yeah, you have the license to do whatever you want to do. So that is definitely a huge pro of being uh, an independent uh, romance author. And you actually have been on, recently you've been on some lists. So that in itself is awesome. I feel like because so many people have been looking for new reads during the quarantine, they are going everywhere. They're like, where can I get a new book? Or where can I get a new audiobook or what have you? And you've been popping up on lists because people are sharing. Yeah, people are sharing. But I also think too, so the list I was referring to with the mainstream authors were like USA you know, today oh, okay. and, and New York Times bestselling. But those lists that you're referring to, I think it happened at a at a time where, you know, our country, the state of our country was so wrestled. So I think around that, like in the spring and into the summer, there were people who were trying to uplift or amplify, amplify Black voices. And, you know, I'm fine with that. Like, you know, I'm grateful for it. But mm-hmm. I'm still looking for that time. And I'm still trying to understand the market to see why is it that black art and, you know, black romance there is not considered as profitable as mainstream, you know? And I, I think that is real. And I've definitely felt that. So, um, but put me on any list, like put me on any list. I love it. Don't get me wrong, but it'll be great to kind of expand that and, and to have the conversation of, okay, why is this, you know, why is this particular art not as profitable as white romance? So, I'm very curious to answer that or to have that question answered as well, because the content is there. So they can't say that it doesn't exist. Right. It's there. Mm -hmm. So what's the disconnect is what I would definitely want to know. Hmm. Things that make you go. Well, you know what? Let's talk about your work a little bit. And well, not a little bit, a lot, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but you're not probably going to like this question. Mm But the question is, what was your favorite character to write and why? Yeah, right. I don't like that question. <laughs> <laughs> I went in, I'm like, I'm curious to know what did this character teach you about yourself? Like, I just, I'm just curious. Well, if you want to ask which character taught me the most, that's a different question I can answer. I don't have a favorite character. I don't have a favorite project. I have those that are more, more difficult to write, more challenging to write. But if you, if you want to know which one has taught me like a lot, let's go with that. Yeah. I would say Jade, um, from Connecticut Kings one and three, Jade Bailey. Um, Jade taught me how to, love against adversity and that adversity could be your mate (laughs) and what your mates, you know, uh, weaknesses are, or, um, their setbacks are, or, um, you love no matter what, and you love hard, you love fiercely and your love needs to be consistent. And I feel like she had a dedicated love that a lot of people still don't understand. 
but I got mm-hmm. it and I, and I was so satisfied with that. And then I, I actually have heard from a few people said that they got it. And I was like, good. Cause I felt that like, I know she was a mess. I, can't <laughs> to do, like, I cannot, re- I cannot relate to her life, you know, up until the point where she met Trent. I can't, but I do, I felt, you know, it was that thick. I felt her dedication to him. And mm-hmm. I learned so much from her so much in terms of, you know, we always talk about I'm a ride or die. No, I think, you know, although we, we've only gotten a, a certain, like a small, you know, scope of their journey at the beginning, which is always easy. I just feel like Jade has that stamina to mm-hmm. go long haul with Trent and, and, and learning to love a broken man, that is difficult. Oh, a yes. broken man with mommy issues? Ooh, the mommy issues. That is hard as a woman because he doesn't even understand what you're giving him. So I I I learned so much for, for, from Jade and I, I I love her. I really do. The most um, challenging one, um, the most taxing was Sadiq because of his complicated lifestyle. The most mm-hmm. challenging one was Ezra because Ezra is smarter than I am. And it's hard <laughs> to articulate for someone who is honestly far more intelligent than you are. And I'm, I'm good with saying that, you know, mm-hmm. and I often say, you know, if I think about it, I often question, did you really do him right? Did you give him his justice? And I, I try not to dwell on it because I know that I would drive myself crazy, but you know, that is the one person I wrote whose intelligence just surpasses mine. And I just, but I still, I, he was so compelling. I couldn't turn him away. I'm like, mm-hmm. come on, let's do it. So, yeah. Well, you mentioned as you mentioned a few things that we're going to we're going to get into, but you mentioned Ezra and it reminded me that with Ezra, he was seeing a therapist Mm -hmm. and you view your characters as clients. Right. Mm -hmm. So what what was the thinking behind that? Because um. In my um in my fictional life, I'm a therapist. I'm a you know, I'm a relationship therapist, right? Mm-hmm. When I come, you come to me and we talk about not just your surface issues with this person. We talk about you, who are you and what makes you be the being or the partner you are or potential partner you can, you know, you, you'll be to this person. So I view them as clients. Like they're both coming to me. Sometimes we have sessions together. Sometimes I have a session with him. Sometimes it's just with her, but we talk about more than what's on the surface. What, what can I do or what can we do together to make sure this is a long lasting flourishing, you know, monogamous relationship. And I try to deal with as much as I can. Like, who are you? Like, what made you this person? What are you bringing to the table? What do we need to be made aware of? What, what ugly should be exposed? So that's why I call them clients because I like to think that I'm coming in and I'm like pulling out the junk, like exposing the junk that we all, we all have. I don't mm-hmm. know who you are there. You know, we are all like, you know, totally made up of our experiences from childhood. And, and I, I and I am one person, I mean, until the past, like 15, maybe 15 years ago, I so I was always like, I ain't got much junk with me. I'm good. <laughs> I don't have trauma. Like I don't have issues. And honestly, as life has progressed, I realized, dog, you do have issues. You have yeah. some junk. And that can honestly cause conflict in a relationship. And mm-hmm. I think that, that applies to everyone. So I like to view my writing as that. I like to view my writing as real people with real issues. And I'm there to play middleman and try to hopefully, you know, bring about some type of resolution so that you guys can just go on this walk, this journey moving forward together. 
Well, I would say that that has been phenomenal because the yeah, no, the way that you've done it has been excellently executed and not only do you have the character or the the clients <laughs> looking at themselves in the story, but then you have the readers doing the same thing. Yeah. You know, so it's almost like you're getting which, you know, HIPAA and all these other things would prevent it, but you're getting an inside look into someone else's session, but then you're also getting your own session and you you're like... You can examine yourself. You see yeah. a lot of documentaries. I, and I love to explore people. I've, I've always been attracted to people. Like I've always, like when I, my, my prayers, even as a child, is like, you know, God, help me to manage this relationship, not I mean, I don't mean an intimate relationship. I mean, like you know, whether it's a relative or a professor or a classmate. Like I always had this discerning spirit in terms of seeing things in people, good or bad, and not able to articulate it. So I, it's always been my prayer to just kind of help me manage this relationship or understand this person. And I feel like that's why I love. I mean, I love romance too, and I love erotica too. So <laughs> why not bring them all together, you know, under one umbrella and 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 take it on? So hopefully, like you said, that you know, when when we not just the readers, but me, when we're when we're unraveling the, the lives of these people and their stories, we can examine ourselves, and that's what mm-hmm. that's Jade really. I mean, not and it's not just Jade. I just think Jade has done it the most to say that Jade is the one client I had that I had the least in common with. But I felt like with her, I learned so much from her, and it was and it, and it caused me to examine myself. So mm-hmm. hopefully, that you know that can be for other people as well. Yeah, absolutely. And you've been fearlessly writing about. The clients with a broad range of real life issues. You know, yeah. you've had abandonment. We talked a little bit about, about the mommy issues, parents with drug addictions, yeah. gang associations, eating disorders, untimely death of children, unplanned pregnancy. Like yeah. it just goes on and on and on. Mm-hmm. And one of the the I would say real life issues that people are facing, especially currently, is around managing family expectations. Yeah. And then you have clients like Jackson, Ezra, Sadiq. Yeah. Yeah. All three of them mm-hmm. with following in their father's footsteps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's a real thing because some people would be like, yeah, you might as well just because it's already set up for you. But these three men individually were having their own thoughts around what that really looks like while trying to be their own men. Right. 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 In the midst of everything and trying to manage successful relationships and try, you know, like all yeah. these things. But why are these areas so important for you to unpack? Because again, I feel like this it's something that someone can relate to. What I do like about these three examples that you've given with Siddi, with Ezra, with Jackson, is the fact that these black men, successful black men, had at least had, well, mixed with the exception of Ezra, had relationships, you know, with their fathers. Uh, 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 Sadiq and Jackson, they thoroughly respected their fathers. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, I think um, Jackson in his specific case, his admiration of his father led to his heartbreak because he saw in his father's last days was that his father betrayed him, you know, mm-hmm. that his father was not a perfect man and he was fine. He was content being just like his dad, but he understood the complications of who this man was, who he worshiped. And Sadiq 
he had a little more balance of it. Sadiq's thing is, I respect my father. And if it wasn't for his sacrifices, I wouldn't be the person or the privileged man that I am. He understood his privilege because of his father's uh, uh, lifestyle. Um, but I did respect that he also said, that's not the path I want to take. And with right. Ezra, Ezra had always seen the you know nefariousness of his father. Like he's always seen that. And he made a decision earlier on. I don't want to be that. They never connected. Ezra was always an island unto himself. And he always was strange. And his mom, who knew he was strange, she embraced it where his father was like frustrated, like, I don't get you. I don't get you. And he had he had more, more compassion in his grandfather, but he lost him early. So Ezra tried to, you know, had to figure it out for himself. But I love the fact that their fathers were there. At least they knew their fathers and their flaws, the good, bad, ugly, and indifference of their fathers. Um, and I feel like that's huge in the black community because that's that can be an issue with us, with many of us. You know, we don't know our dad, or if we know our dad, we only know this side of our dad, or we only know the good mm -hmm. side of our dad because we don't really know our fathers. And I feel like with these three examples, they knew their fathers and they were able to decide the type of men they wanted to be based upon, you know, what they thought of their dads yeah absolutely and those those dads wow you know <laughs> pretty yeah. pretty powerful and um at the same time frustrating fathers yeah. because sometimes while reading it's like dad just leave him alone especially with Sadiq's dad at one point I was like if this man don't stop yeah you, just, just because. Sadiq is his favorite child Sadiq is the favorite child of both his parents Right. So there was like, that was like another layer of it. And it's just like these, there are these high expectations, but just like El, uh, Earl isn't an alpha male. So is the son. So, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it had to be a balance. And I think he really, he adores his son. And um, I don't know. I love their family bond. It's complicated and as wayward as it is, but I, I love their family bond, the Ellis's. Um, but yeah. The Ellis's are very, the Ellis's are very complicated oh indeed, which is a, an, a, I'm like, you just setting this up lady, oh. because that's taking me to my next question, which is around another real life. I won't say it's a real life, life issue per se, but it is real life that there are some people that are in relationships where there's age and emotional maturity gaps, right? Oh, so yeah. mm -hmm. you've you've successfully illustrated this with your clients and a few of them I'll call out would be like Raina and Asmir, mm -hmm. Bailon and Sadiq. Mm -hmm. I would even say Zoe and Stint, mm -hmm. maybe even Ellen Jackson, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. maybe even Lex and Ezra, mm -hmm. maybe I'll throw them in there. But when you were thinking about that age and maturity gap, what was coming to your, what did you want the readers to fully understand as you were pairing these couples together? Because at one point you often forget that there's a gap, but then you remember a little bit when you hear certain conversation or not here, but you know, when you're reading certain conversations, you're like, I gotta remember, well, at least for me, I'm like, I gotta remember that he or she is younger or older, right. you know? Yeah. So I think we're all coming a combination of that's what I said earlier of our experiences. So when you're bringing two people together with different life experiences, you may perceive one, the more worldlier one to be the more mature one, but that's not always the case. And then there are sometimes, you know, the obvious, some you don't have a lot of experience. So you do lack maturity in this certain area, but their strengths and weaknesses to both clients. Like I've never written about a, a couple uh, whereas one had no issues, but the other one had all the issues. So, mm. and I feel like you find that no matter what the age difference is, and then sometimes the age difference can be a factor for compat compatibility. But I feel like, you know, 
exposing those things, those different maturity levels, it, it creates the conflict, right, of mm-hmm. who these people are. And then that's my job to figure out, okay, so how can we overcome these issues? Well, first, you know, obviously acknowledging them or whatever. But yeah, I think it's just the gap comes just from their lifestyles. What are their experiences? You know, what are their, their life views? And, um, it's interesting when you bring people together, cause I still have these revelations at 40 years old about, wow, when I think about different couples who I know personally and just like where they, where they, when they, when he met, like, you know, you came from this background and she came from that background and look where you guys are together. But it was like a little bit of conflict in the adjustments that had to be made for you guys to still, you know, to get to this point where you're still together. And I don't mm-hmm. think it's any different with my projects in terms of my clients. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually pretty valid too. And just speaking of the fact that there's so much that goes into writing these clients and bringing their stories to be more, I would say, to feel more real mm-hmm. and just to feel more genuine. You've written about some pretty sensitive and steamy sex scenes. Wow. Um, one being, when I say sensitive, for listeners, what I'm explaining or what I'm about to go into is the fact that Love has written about clients losing their virginities. Mm-hmm. And the way that it was done was super, I would say, I won't even go as far as saying that it was just steamy in terms of like fanning yourself like this is pretty hot, mm-hmm. but just the level of attention that you put into this and the thoughtfulness that you put into it and just painting the picture of what these women and the men felt like during this process. Like, mm-hmm. how do you bring this all together? Like, what's the inspiration behind this? And you've introduced us to some pretty interesting sexual um, topics as well, like BDSM, mm-hmm. that most most people wouldn't expect when they're picking up the book. They wouldn't know that some of the clients are into this. Mm-hmm. But the way that you've done it, again, very tastefully done. And these are Black men of status. Mm-hmm. So these aren't like, you know, the, the guys off the corner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. These are men that have, quote unquote, something to lose, if you will. Mm-hmm. But the way that you've done it is that to me, it's you've been able to bring readers into being more open-minded, I would say, about how they would explore sex going forward. Mm-hmm. So my question is more so, what's the inspiration behind writing the sexy scenes, <laughs> sexy sex scenes? Mm-hmm. And how did you, or yeah, how did you even think about this BDSM? Like, how did that even become a part of your process? So, so whenever I, I quote unquote meet a new client, right. And I'm like vetting them, um, a a lot of the vetting process is like, what is your sexual chemistry? Like, Mm -hmm. because what works for Stanton is not going to work for Sadiq and vice, although they're both in the bondage. So right. I was like, pause. <laughs> what works for Asmir, you know, doesn't necessarily work for, work for Trent, you know, but it, you, they really have to be, you know, themselves. And again, they come to me with, you know, who they are, what their kink is, you know, what, you know, what their, what their chemistry is. And one of the things that I have to get a quick snapshot of is, does it, does it mix with it, you know, or does it make a great chemistry with you know, the woman that you're bringing along with you for, to, to sit down and talk to me about, like, and I really need to feel that. Cause if I don't feel that I don't have an interest in, and you need to go see another client, I mean, another therapist, but, um, but I, I think that is interesting to, cause you know, I'm writing 
a part of what I'm writing is a fantasy. So mm-hmm. it needs to be interesting. It needs to be something. And I also, here's the thing. I love to learn from people. I love to learn from men and I love to learn from my lover. I love, you have to teach me something in order to gain my interest. So like, let's, let's journey together. What is your sexual, sexual temperament? Like, what is your kink? Like, what is your thing? And I love exploring those things with, you know, with my clients. And it's just a part of an LB project. It's a part of the LB process. So, you know, uh, BDSism is just, you know, a a form of expression or, um, or parameters around a, you know, sexual relationship and, and it's, and people do it, black people do it, you know, and, and, and it was, it was fun and very, yeah, very informative too, to explore that with, you know, Ezra or even with someone like a wild boy, like Sadiq. So yeah, I don't know. It's, it just, it was just something that was presented and I was like, come on, let's go for it. I love that you said, and Black people do it, because I feel like there are so many stigmas in the Black community around certain aspects of sex, Mm -hmm. and some things they would try to, people would try to say, like, that's not, that's not what Black people are into, that's not for us, you know, like, they'd they'd kind of try to downplay it, like, nah, ain't nobody about to be tying me up, nah, we ain't about to do that, you know, and the reality is, like, (laughs) Yeah, you probably would if you knew that there are parameters around how to do it safely, you know, like if you knew a little bit more instead of making it seem like that's for everybody else but us. Exactly. And it's really a world that, you know, you build those parameters, those boundaries. Like, what are you comfortable with? Because if you're not comfortable, I mean, that's the whole premise of it. Like that, that community, if you're not comfortable with it, it doesn't fly. So it's, it's really creating, you know, what you're comfortable with and exploring. I, you know, I'm not going to say I know a whole bunch of people that are into PDSism because I don't, but trust me, I know folks who, uh, who are in it. And, you know, it honestly varies in terms of what their preferences or even like swinging something I'll probably never, I'll, will never write about in terms of my, my main clients, but swinging black folks are into swinging like there's, mm-hmm. and it, it happens, but it's just, I guess the fun in, in reading is just exploring those different things and not have to participate in it yourself. Maybe. Right. <laughs> <That's the best. laughs> right. And speaking of exploring one of the, the areas um, that stood out to me and I was like, I have never seen another author do this was the fact that you had written about the red light special (laughs) so so, i mean i've definitely i know people that are totally down for it they're like look there's no way i'm gonna deny my partner even if i'm on my cycle right and then i know other people that are skeeved out and they're like absolutely not yeah Yeah. and it was it was interesting to see that you wrote about this and again it just brought it back to the fact that this is really how things happen but the the client that I'm specifically thinking about it, or the clients would be Zoe and Stent. And when Zoe was like, is he for real? You know, like in her mind, she's like, uh-uh, I don't think that this is supposed to happen. And he tells her basically like, no, this is going to happen and you're going to feel even better after it happens. Yeah. And she, and she trusted him Yeah, and she, and she did it. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, and she was rewarded for it, right? <laughs> she was right. She um, was rewarded. That duality, right? So you have one that's just like, I'm for it, let's do it. And you have the one, the other one's like, Are you crazy? Absolutely not. Like, you know, so mm-hmm. you know, you'll find in terms of readers who are taking this journey on, you're gonna find both, right? Mm-hmm. Even when I talk to my girlfriends and that the su- the subject comes up, you know, you'll find some that'll be like, Absolutely not. I would never. And you know what? It also varies by the woman's experience with her cycle and 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 what is like what what that physical journey is like for her because that may not be anything they want to correlate to like pleasure at all that's something they just want to get through you know buy their time with it and get rid of it for the rest of the month and then you know prepare for the next but it it is it, it's, it's it's all individual uh in in terms of what your take is on it but i i was so tickled when that book was published and i got back so many <laughs> mixed reviews on that scene alone it tickled really bad but it's just like and then you have other people who i've heard like you know going back to my girlfriends my girlfriend said you don't grow the bleep up and just throw on a condom or or put on or or um lay down a a towel over a towel or something like that so it's it's you just the world is 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 made of mixed you know people like you know there's people with different experiences different thoughts different minds and you know but different I flavors. I, I different flavors, and I have fun with it. If that I mean, I was reading it like, did she just write? That? Okay, <laughs> just this? Right. Wow, you know, because again, <clears throat> one of the things that that I know to be true is seeing conversations like that in chats with girlfriends. Mm-hmm. To your to your point, mm-hmm. where they're like, oh, this is what the guy is saying. You know, have you ladies ever done this? Or it's the opposite, where a girl is like. I'm not about to tell my man no to nothing. So whatever yeah. he's down for. And of course, people are like, well, do do whatever rocks your boat. Oh, yeah. But to see that written in black and white, it's like, wow, okay, well, clearly this is something, again, a real life, yeah. a real life situation that mm-hmm. is presented and people are doing it. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm glad that you, again, write these these areas yeah. <laughs> so fearlessly. And it goes back to me wondering why certain things aren't perceived as list worthy. I'm going to, yeah, I'll ponder that a little bit later, but I'm like, this is what people are really going through. And another thing that I noticed that you have written a lot about has been the alpha male. Yeah. 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 What's that about? I think I love them. <laughs> I struggle with them just a little bit, just a I little bit. Some people do struggle with them, and honestly, can I, I honestly respect why? I think I was partially raised by an alpha man. My my grandfather, Celia Belvin, is an alpha man, and he is unrepentant, and he is very very strong on, in terms of his decisions. He's an entrepreneur. My grandfather, you know, has several properties in several different states. Um, started with his peers, started like two organizations, uh, Man of Faith. And I had front row seat in terms of what it was like to be married to him because I lived with my grandparents um, for, uh, you know, a number of years in my childhood. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, dog, I don't know how my grandmother did that. And they are just sometimes can be unmovable. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I used to find him very intimidating. He has softened to me in my opinion, and as he's gotten older, he's 80, he's 86 now ish, 84, he's about 84. And he has softened a lot. So our conversations are a little more free and he's so like proud of me in terms of what I do. Um, but I said to myself, 
what does that like psychologically, what does that say about you? And I thought about it. <laughs> That is your first alpha male. And then I love men that, again, I learn from. I am my father's like favorite pupil. Like we, we he's always been that type of dad and mm-hmm. it's the oldest son, like, and they're not the same. My right. father is a teacher. He has the patience of Joe, even though I say he, as he gets older, he gets more, you know, cranky, but I feel like he talks to you and he, like, like you're on his level and he is just a, a compassionate man, not not a softy at all, but just someone the ladies always love. My dad has always been like the type, oh, Zerkis, oh, Zerkis, oh, Zerkis. And, you know, my dad, you know, he used to always say, I'm your boyfriend, I'm your boyfriend. And he's always that, he's that man that you, that created those parameters about, you know, shaping like the type of man that you'll want. And he is a teacher. And I, I have seen him with the women he's dealt with you know, since I've been, you know, alive, obviously, and how they take to that part of him. And I guess I'm a victim of that too. So when I'm shaping these men is it always, there's always an element to all of them, even from Jackson, Mm. Trent, who, especially Trent, Trent is more, more more of my emotional like hero, but Mm -hmm. from all of them, there's something that they can all teach me. I've learned Mm. from them all. Like they all have a perspective. They're not clueless men. They're not men who will easily break. Like there's just always these elements. And I think psychologically, like I'm, I, I'm exposing a lot about myself and the the type of men that I like. And I don't, all the men I write about are not alpha men. No, they're They're not not alpha men. Um, they, they, I think all of my clients are alpha men and females to, to a large degree, but they're not all super alpha. You know, they all vary, but I think those are my telltale signs of like who I am. And I had, and I really do, I have to sit and think about Oh, where are these, you know, why are you so attracted to these type of people? Cause there are some clients I would never take on. Like I'm just not attracted to. Um, and I like to just, I'd like to take on clients that again, that has a story that interests me and these personalities, they do. So, yeah, yeah. No, I'm telling you, I'm definitely blown away by the personalities as well, because honestly, I didn't realize that so many alpha male males were around me mm-hmm. until reading. And then I'm like, yeah. No wonder, you know, because because some of the things that are said, some of the the ways that they do things, and it's not, to me, it's never forceful or disrespectful. It's just a part of like who they are and what they believe. Who they are. And like even Ezra, Ezra is a wonderful example of, um, I think it was in, I think it was in, in Covenant with Ezra. And he had just left Lex and they had like some type of conflict or whatever. And I think he kind of left her frustrated and he had a speaking engagement to do. And as he's waiting for his time, I guess, to take the mic, um, my memory is not that great. But anyway, he's in a room and this woman is clearly flirting with him and, and he knows it. He knows mm-hmm. she's flirting with him and he turns his back to her. And he calls his assistant to say, hey, you know what's going on here. Please handle her. Because in his mind, he turned around and, you know, he started thinking about Lex. He he didn't understand, like, what she was saying. Like, yeah, you do take care of me. You, you're offering to take care of me. You're offering to take care of my bills. You're offering to be faithful to me. But, you know, a marriage is much more than that. And I think about my grandfather. My grandfather is, you know, always took care of us. Like, he, I remember him paying for my, my, my undergrad books and my, a summer, you know, my summer stays. And my grandfather took care of us, made sure that, because we grew up in the projects my mom lived in the projects and they lived on the on the east side like you know in a in a better neighborhood 
And uh, they would go down to my, they had a, a house built in my, my grandmother's hometown in North Carolina. So they would, uh, they would go down there to, you know, uh, seasonally. And when we were out of school, my grandfather would say, go get them, go get them. They're coming with us. So he was always mm-hmm. about his family. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm sure my grandmother, Ardell probably had like a rough time with him most of the time that she was taking care. She didn't have to work or anything like that. Um, but it's, it's, it's that complexity, you know, in them that, I don't know, I think I just, that's just, and I can't claim to understand it, but it's, it's intriguing. So that's, Mm -hmm. that's what I've taken on. Yeah. It's very intriguing to say the least. Mm -hmm. And what I also noticed too, about most of your clients and both men and women, they are men and women of faith mm-hmm. for the most part. Mm-hmm. And they have some direct or indirect tie to the mega church redeeming souls. So is there a redeeming souls in your life that helped shape this particular writing piece? Not for the church. Okay. Not not for redeeming souls. Redeeming souls is like a you know, like a petitional just Yeah. Fantasy. Okay. Like it's just I I don't I don't know if I would ever want to belong to a mega church like that, but thank you so <laughs> but I it's just it's just a foundation that we have in the universe. Um and you know we we know the helm of it, if you will, like uh with 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 Ezra. But no, there is no redeeming souls, but it's so easy. It was so easy to build redeeming souls. It was I had so much fun doing that. But you no, there's no I grew up in a a, a small family church. I mean tiny, like okay. Redeeming souls, big toe wouldn't be able to fit in my. Like, <laughs> I mean, well, Raj comes from a small church too, but he happens to to go to Redeeming Souls now. So you know, you can graduate possibly. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, nope, no, no mega churches for me. But we still, I wanted to check on and check in on three ladies that I love to hate mm-hmm. and. Those ladies are in no particular order, but Braille, Amira, and Norma Jean. I mean, what, what's going on with these ladies? Are there plans for standalone books for them, or you're just like they are where they are in the books that they're in? So I, I rarely, rarely take on a a sub character, and and even though I'll like I'll you know I'll do some forecasting, like I'll introduce a new client that that I'll be taking on like Jackson I did that with Jackson did that with mm-hmm. Ezra but they were already my clients I just right. you know I just kind of put them in in projects before theirs um I am just usually these even though they take on like strong personas I'm rarely interested in their stories but you want to hear something funny sure I honestly have had a small and I, I I don't know how to write a novella it's actually a joke to to you know Love Belvin and novella or short writings. It's just not synonymous. But I have, and I just told CCJ this last week, I have this story for Brielle. And, um, but it won't be a full story because I, Brielle doesn't interest me that way. Um, but I definitely have something for her because I feel like she spoke to me and she said something that that is interesting enough for me to share. I just have to see if I have the talent in order to put it in just a, a you know, a small story. But, um, Amira, I liked, I liked, really? I did. Mm-hmm. I feel like Amira, um, she's, she's eclectic. We just don't like Amira because we like, you know, Kenny, because Kenny belongs to Isaac. But I liked Amira. I think she was young. I think she had her own issues. I think she experienced some trauma and I think she, you know, she just she's just trying to figure it out she's trying to figure it out but sis is a little messy so i did i struggled with her because 
when I first was introduced, and this is so interesting, when I was first introduced to her, I was introduced to her through Sadiq. And then I had to say, hold on, where is she? Where, where did she come from? Right. So I was like, where does she come from? And then when I met her, when her career like started, which was during Kenny and Isaac's love story, I was like, oh, okay. But... I've I've known a few Amiras in my life. I won't I won't okay, have okay. them. Yeah. So personally, I was like, if she don't just sit down, like go yeah. away. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She's an antagonist. She's been an antagonist. And I tried to, I tried to, you know, see past that. I don't see a story for her. I'm not interested, you know, in Amira. Um but because Amira is now a legitimate artist, successful artist, we'll see her again in the in the universe. The same, you know, with Riel. Like we saw Riel and, you know. Uh, we're going to see more of Brielle uh, and uh, the conclusion of the Muted Hopelessness series. But um, but yeah, I, I typically do not take on sub-characters. Like, I, I just don't have an interest in them. Like Tashi, like people want, like Tashi to have her own story. Tashi is an around away hood chick that I grew up with. I have no interest in taking on Tashi's story. But I love her. But right, I absolutely right. love her. And like we'll probably possibly we'll hear from her again, but no. Well, it was nice to see her in Sadiq series. I thought know, like too, and I think I, like like that. I, I don't. I didn't hear anyone complain about that at all. I think we all like Tashi, but we actually saw more of Tashi. Like really got to know her better in the Sadiq series than we did Love Unaccounted. So that was pretty mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. yeah, that's why I was like, okay, we we know she's she's good, and I think she's just overall good people, I but. These other three, I mean, Norma Jean, yeah. by the time listeners hear this, we would have already known what she was up to <laughs> as uh, the muted hopelessness series um, raps. But that woman, I said, you know what? She reminded me of a fourth grade teacher that I had. Really? Yeah, my fourth grade teacher was interesting. She just had an energy about her mm-hmm. and it was just not... To me, at least, other people that that know who my fourth grade teacher was, they're gonna be like, "Kim, you are so wrong for this." But the reality is that she just had this certain energy, especially when it came to younger boys. Why? Wow. That's what I thought. Well, let me tell you something. Trust your instincts. Don't don't deny them. <laughs> like, but I mean, you know. It is what it is with with Miss Norma Jean. I wasn't feeling her for a few reasons, but I'm looking forward to seeing how she pops back up in in the universe as the series wraps up. As our time comes to a close, I do have a few more questions for you. And one question that I have that I'm sure listeners are probably really interested in knowing is your advice for those that are pursuing a career as an author. Or those that are on the fence that are like, you know, I think my stuff is good, but I don't know if I should release it. Like, what's your advice? I've always said there's something for everyone. Um, You're going to find someone that's going to like it. Um, I think when you are creating, I don't think anyone should be invited into the room. Don't think about a future um, uh, naysayers, audience. Um, Don't even think about the people who are going to, you know, love your work. Just think about what the work means to you and just write it. You know, when writers come to me and say, well, I, I need some advice on writing. I'm like, well, write first, like get it done first. And then, um, because I feel like if you put too much into it, it's going to lengthen the process unnecessarily and possibly, you know, um, just 
obliterated. Like it just, it just won't come to fruition. So I think that uh, you should write. And then I think once you, um, once you're ready to publish, you know, uh, you need to start finding out who your audience is, you know, who do you think writes like you have an audience that you would like to have? Um, and then I would try to see if you can develop a relationship with that particular author and, you know, maybe ask them to, you know, promote your, you know, your work or something like that, but definitely build relationships with your future peers or your, once you publish, they are your peers. Um, and then remain consistent, like, you know, promotion and marketing is just an, an ongoing job, something none of us have mastered, but you got to stay out there. You have to, you know, continuously search for new readers and be consistent and also be concerned about your reputation, be cognizant of the energy that you put out. Like, how do you want, when people think about you outside of your, you know, your work, how do you want them to perceive you? You know, how are, how are you presenting yourself to them? Like when you talk about social media and things like that, but, um, but yeah, just write without any type of influence and, and then worry about those other things after. So write first, worry after, (laughs) but not even worry, just be consistent and know that whatever you put out there, again, the universe has somebody that's That's interested. That's going to love it. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. a lot of times, like I was, I was uh, sharing this with Jacinta Howard. Um, and Ooh, Jacinta Howard. Yeah. Shout out to Jacinta Howard for the prototype series. Yeah. Yeah. Girl. Girl. But now I was, I don't want to tell us talking to her as if, she and I had a conversation about this particular subject. It was like a sidebar type of thing. We were communicating. And I was saying like, you can write the best book, like the bomb book. And if you don't promote it, it's just sitting there. Who is going to know? So marketing is such a huge part of it. Like just, and I don't, and I don't have all the answers to that. I, I really don't. I'm like thinking and working and looking every day, but I do see that there are a number of authors that say, Oh, I published my book. And now I should be out there. I should be the next, you know, E.O. James or the next Terry McMillan or, you know, and no, it doesn't work that way. Like there's constant work behind it. So, but first, just be intimate with the art and that doesn't require any forethoughts of what people are going to say about it. Absolutely. And the last question is, what are you manifesting? I am manifesting my, the next chapter of my life. I am honestly seeing within the next, with less than 10 years, but let's say uh, 10 years, what my life will look like, what my art will look like, how far out there, speaking of marketing, how far, you know, out there, how, how expanded my art will be, what type of different uh, mediums will we see my art? Um, I, and also my personal life, like what I want to be, I want to be settled. I want to be calm and mm-hmm my next life because the world is always going to it's going to roll in like obstacles and it's always going to be like this surprise you know travesty or whatever but i want myself you know to kind of be calm so that i'm able to take those things on and these are legit the things that i think about this is not (laughs) to sound deep at all but as a woman i want to be full circle and i want to be i want to be proud of what i've done the life i've led and then what i give to my community because I i have a huge community um, that I am responsible to, and I want to make sure that I'm present for them. So I am legit right now manifesting things for my career and my personal life that's going to land me in the next chapter of my life when I'm like 50, 50 plus. That I, I want to see, I want to see some things um, that I'm calling out now. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, some some movies and um, yes, yes, and buying my next home and. Mm-hmm. 
um, making sure that I am able to contribute to, you know, the young people in my family that are coming up. I was just on a phone FaceTiming my, my niece who moved to a new school system and she's trying to adjust smart girl to very bright girl, but she's trying to adjust. She's like the only black kid in the class. And just how can I be instrumental in her life and her next chapter? What is she going to do? Because she reminds me of myself. She's a storyteller. So like, mm -hmm. what am I going to do to make sure she becomes a success? Going back to the beginning of our conversation about, you know, what would I tell my 16 year old self? Like, I want to be calling out those things in this, in this young girl so that her path is, you know, can become clear to her. So those are the things that I am literally like I meditate on and I give a lot of thought to, and I am, I am looking forward to seeing them blossom in the next chapter of my life, but I, I'm trying to work on them now. I think you're already doing it. I think you are in progress. And that's what's awesome about manifestation, because by the time that it all happens, you're going to be like, yep, did that on to the next thing. And I told Kim about it. And, and yeah, yeah. there you go. There you go. You're yeah, like, to record that. it so I can like <laughs> play it for these kids. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you, love, for joining Let's Manifest. I really hope you've enjoyed our conversation as much as I have. As I said before, I'm super grateful for you taking the time away from your writing to have this conversation with me and for listeners to hear all the gems that you have provided and get a little deeper look into who you are and why you do what you do and your passion. So I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for your craft and that you released that into the universe so that I have something to hold on to as well. But yeah, no, you're welcome. Hopefully this has been good for you. It has. And your energy is everything. Thank you so much. Awesome. It's a pleasure. And listeners, this is for you. Do not forget to share this podcast, leave a review, connect with love on all socials listed in the show notes, sign up for Team Love's newsletter, definitely dive into any of her series available on her website. Get them in order. Don't be like me <laughs> and read them out of order. And if you have any questions or simply want to tell her, thank you, reach out and let her know. And as always, thank you for listening to Let's Manifest. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Manifest podcast. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Share this with your family, share this with your friends, share this with your colleagues, just share this with your entire community. And until next time, let's manifest.